0: Welcome to the Labyrinth, I know it's been a very long time but after a very long uh, break I'm back and we have a very exciting podcast episode today. My guest today is Sangeeta Iyer, she's a metabolic coach, she's a diet and fitness coach, she's an advocate for the animal based diet. To know more about her you can check her website, rewriteyourstory.in or you can follow her on twitter, the links are in the description. And as always, if you find this podcast useful, do like, share, subscribe, leave a comment below. Okay, Sangeeta, welcome to the Labyrinth. How are you doing?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. It's a Saturday uh, afternoon. Um, No complaints so far.
0: Yeah, so I want to know, uh, because this is something that I'm very interested in. How did you begin your journey and transition to animal-based nutrition?
1: Okay, um, it's a long journey, but I'll try and encapsulate it uh, uh, with, with the key highlights of the journey. Um, I'm born, raised a vegetarian. Uh, okay. I also have a congenital allergy to eggs, so though eggs were not frowned upon in my household at all, for uh, this reason I couldn't consume eggs, uh, it, it was just not an option for me. Uh, So born, raised a vegetarian, um, always been a chubby kid, Um, uh, I like any other young teenage girl in her teens and in in your mid 20s, I always had vanity as a reason. Everybody wants to look good, everybody wants to wear nice clothes, all of that. But life went on really uh, Pratham and uh, for me the first time it kind of hit me. Uh, was uh, one uh, as soon as I got married, I had un- uncontrollable weight gain. Okay. Um, it, it's not like I, I, I'm a junk eater or I was irresponsible with my eating and all of that. But I, I was also not a very careful eater. I was eating what mm. people regularly ate, uh, but I, I necessarily didn't have a sweet tooth. I was not into colas. I was not into all of that. Okay, so when I uh, when I started gaining weight. Uh, immediately a, a year or two into my marriage. Uh, and, and then I got myself checked. Uh, you know, I, got, I was diagnosed with a condition, a very common condition that is prevalent today in one, one out of five women of fertile uh, of fertility habit, you know, fertile age habit, uh, which is PCOS, okay. right? Um, now, uh, PCOS at that time, I didn't know was at least 70 to 80% nutrition related. I had no clue. Uh, went to the doctor. Uh, they put me on a uh, on a medicine called uh, Glycomet. Glycomet, if you're not aware or aware, is basically metformin. It's something that is given to uh, type two diabetics. Uh, again, at that point, I didn't realize. I said, okay, I'll take that medication. And the general advice that was given by a doctor even then was, hey, you know what? You need to kind of eat clean and lose some weight. Uh, so. In the 2000s, in the late 1990s, in the early 2000s, the only thing that you know to meant to lose weight is you have to go to the gym or you have to do some sort of uh, cardio, you have to be running. So, I did all of that, um, uh, but I must say that you know the, the, the condition of PCOS was not very, very um, uh, problematic for me because I managed to conceive, I also gave up the medication after some time, I'm very bad with medication. but. Uh, by the time I was one year into, uh, when my son was about a year old and I was hardly about 29, I had almost reached a weight of 88 kgs. Okay. Sure. There was pregnancy weight and all of that, but, um, I was extremely uncomfortable in my skin. Okay. One, obviously I was just obese. And second, uh, by the time it was a year into my son being born, I also had gotten some blood work done and my markers showed as pre-diabetic. So, I had PCOS as an underlying condition, okay, which was obviously giving me all the problems. Of, of biggest problem being putting on, uh, you know, uncontrollably tr- gaining weight, and the second problem was that now my sugar was out of control. Uh, so, slowly from there, so I was about 28, 29, and even pre that, I have always been a sort of a diet junkie because I, like I said, I've always been a chubby kid. I have always been on some form of diet, maybe not consistently, maybe I was doing it wrong, but to whatever, whatever, to, to whatever I knew, I was kind of doing what all the mainstream asked me to do. So, when this happened, I doubled down on it and I said, you know what? Um, there has I, I need to lose weight, and now my blood markers are going wrong. I'm way too young for this, and I started the whole rigorous calorie in, calorie out, being on a calorie deficit, counting your food. Running on the treadmill, I was doing all of this. Right. Now the the I must say that I did find a, a bit of a success, right? Like when I was on that regimented plan, when I was weighing and measuring my food, I was doing all of that. I did lose some weight. I lost five, eight kgs, all of that. But for me the frustration really was and and like I tell everybody, you know, you're you're not Unless you're in in the business of of being a sports person or an uh, or an athlete, you know, there are multiple things going on in your life as a young person. As a at least for me, as a young mother, you know, my baby was a year old. I was in my middle management career. I was trying to earn money. You we were trying to create, uh, you know, better value as a as a family. So when all of the so life also happens uh, at a certain pace, and with all of that, to kind of be uh, obsessive about the calories I'm eating, the next where my next meal is coming, I would I would lose track of it at some points. And the minute I would lose track of it, it would all come back. Yeah. You know? So I went through this entire phase between pre-pregnancy and then post in a far more rigorous fashion till from like 29, 30 till I was about 34, 35. That's exactly 10 years before, right? And I was so upset that, you know, the, the, the one thing that I would always feel is why is such a, such a natural thing, such as eating have to be so regimented. Like, do you count the breaths you take? Do you really do, do, do you, do you measure the affection you give people? Is there a parameter for a sense of belonging? Do Can you quantify your sexual pleasure? can you quantify safety all these are very primal to a human being and it has to be at some way intuitive right why is this intuitively not working for me and i am every day sitting like in my kitchen in a, in a lab you know looking at 10 grams of this and 20 grams of that uh, what is my calorie burn is my meat right today i said this cannot be it right and so in that process of doing all of this, uh, and like I mentioned, I if there is something that I have researched all my life, that's been nutrition and that's been how to lose weight. Okay, And somewhere around 2014 is when I stumbled upon, I was doing some research and I stumbled upon a, 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 a paper on PubMed or Science Direct, one of the things, PubMed, I think, that spoke about the, the ketogenic lifestyle. Okay. Um, now, very clearly, I had no clue what this lifestyle is, uh, I was reading about it, and when I read the components of nutrition in it, uh, it basically was so counterintuitive and so contrarian to what mainstream was telling you to do, like you know, carbs are for energy, saturated fat is bad, meat causes cancer, uh, you know, high protein uh, will create issues with your kidney. Uh, eat six small meals a day, uh, uh, your metabolism will go for a toss if you skip your breakfast, or it kind of debunked everything that I knew for 10 years prior, and I was trying to do, and I said, okay, you know, I have come, also I must say that the ketogenic lifestyle that I read about was very clearly for a specific um, uh, uh, therapeutic reason, and in this case, I was reading about ketogenic uh, uh, diets. In the case of children with epilepsy or with adult epilepsy or seizure issues, right? So it was a very, it's a very prescriptive therapeutic diet. And uh, if you know what a ketogenic diet for therapeutic reasons is, the classic keto- ketogenic diet is where basically you, your brain cannot metabolize glucose for fuel very well, which means coming from carbohydrates or sugar. Therefore, you are better functioning. Uh, you're a better functioning individual with using ketones for energy, right? Which is what you uh, uh, get from fat in the absence of glucose. Now, barely I knew all of this. Like then, I was like, okay. Somewhere it said that the side effect is also weight loss. Okay, and I said, oh, the side effect is weight loss, and they also said your metabolic health becomes better. Type 2 diabetes could be, could be, or. Uh, 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 one of the things that you can address with it, and I said, okay, weight loss, and and it's looking like you're not taking sugar. I already, I'm not a big fan of sugar. I said, let me do this, and that's it. For me, uh, three months into that, I started seeing changes like never before, right? Now, I also didn't do the 70% fat, I must say. I mean, as part of ketogenic lifestyle, 70% of your calorie intake comes from healthy fat, right? I did not do that for two reasons. Intuitively, I felt if I'm holding on to body fat, if I take dietary fat, the dietary fat will get used, but the body fat will remain. Okay. It's common sense, right? Okay. And second, always a fat girl in your head. You are always scared to eat fat. You're programmed that way. Uh, you know, since you're a child, that ghee is not good for you. Fat eating fat will make you fat. So that was the second programming I had. So. I kind of did my own little bit thing where I would, uh, I obviously optimized on the protein. I dropped my carbs to under 20 grams in a day from vegetables, and I I was eating. I I shifted to all your saturated fat or coconut oil and things like that. Three to six months, I literally cannot tell you how my life started changing. Which first, of course, all the plateau etc. that I was going through, I broke that plateau. Number one, number two very automatically in the same year, while I've been going to the gym since 2009, but I was doing monkey workouts, you know? Mm -hmm. The thing that they make women do, you know, more of uh, aerobic exercises, Zumba, all aimed at mindless cardio. Uh, Hear me out, I'm not saying cardiovascular exercise has no role to play, but I think if you're looking at fat loss more than cardio, it is resistance training that helps, and that's what I found out, like I said, one thing after the other opened up for me, so along with following a ketogenic lifestyle or, or what I made of the ketogenic lifestyle, I also started pivoting my training more to strength training. So I started lifting more weights, I dropped my cardio to uh, a bit of a bare minimum, like 20 minutes of a walk or a good, good walk on a Sunday. Generally be, I'm, I'm generally active, I'm not a person. So for me, I have what they call the fidgeting energy. Which comes under neat, right, non-exercise activity. So I'm am in general a fidgeter. I move around a lot. So when I started bringing these like fundamental changes, and the third thing that happened in the same year or around 2015 is I stumbled upon uh, uh, Dr. Jason Fung. I mention him all the time, uh, and and therefore to what. People say, now people know fasting and all of that, so about eight, 10 years ago is when, along with the ketogenic lifestyle, along with strength training, I brought an intermittent fasting into my uh, schedule. And one year, 18 months, I think, 18 months from when I started all of this, uh, there was no pre-diabetes. I had lost all the weight. Uh, in um, uh, I had come down to 60 kgs, which is ideally my weight, and and. Further on, then I went on to become my really ideal weight, which is 55-56 in 2017. Um, and uh, I, I went back to my Gynac and this, there was no cyst anymore. Oh. So, you know, I had reversed all of this. And there on, uh, slowly and steadily, I have been a big advocate, largely for myself and friends and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I predominantly like 85-90% of my calories come from animal-based food. Okay. So, very important to understand. The minute I say animal-based food, somehow people think it's red meat. It's not that restrictive. So, I call it meat, poultry, right? Seafood, eggs, dairy. Okay. So, uh, so I am on that. Some I'm, I've always been on on an animal-based diet since then, and some spectrum of controlling my carbs, right? Okay. Like. Usually my carbs are 80, 50 grams less, sometimes it'll be zero, sometimes I'll do carnivore. And doing all of this, I, since, therefore since 2015-16, I have eliminated the word calorie in my brain. I do not have a concept of weighing anything. I eat when I'm hungry, okay? It's just that I consistently follow this lifestyle of fasting, strength training, and being on animal based. So that's
0: my journey. That's fascinating and I'm glad it showed such strong results for you. Uh, but one of the uh, concerns that a lot of people uh, have with regards to animal-based diet, especially in India, is that when we see all these uh, influencers uh, in the ketogenic diet, in the carnivore diet, uh, posting pictures about uh, beefsteak on their Instagram, we, we just wonder like we. Uh, can we really do this how practical is this in india is it uh expensive is it uh because you know meat beef is banned in most states uh it's very difficult to you know eat. you can get very easily bored of chicken sometimes so how practical is it and how easy is it in india to transition to something like this
1: i i i completely understand see the, the, the carnivore diet is an export of of It's the last couple of years or three years of what we've been seeing largely on Twitter led by a lot of people in the West. And steak uh, is a big thing there, right? Uh, Which is why I say that uh, you have to be smart, a little sensible um, to make it inclusive for a country like India. Now, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, if protein is going to be the hero of every meal, and it should be, Is it going to be slightly more expensive than what we eat today? Oh, 100%, because the cheapest calorie source are grains and cereals and pulses, right? Now, it's a question of, we we can discuss privilege, we can discuss uh, the economics of it and all of that, but those are all completely different discussions, depending upon the strata of society that you're speaking to, and policy making, and decision, and all of that. But to answer your question, for the regular person, okay? While it is highly beneficial to eat red meat, and there is nothing wrong with eating red meat every day, if afford, and in India, you're rightly said, the one thing that was affordable in in red meat was beef, and that's now banned in a lot of places. It's 400 bucks a kg. It's the best form of nutrition you can get. I think you can still be uh, healthy on on a relatively what I. That's why I listed what is animal-based food, right? Mm. So you can still do poultry and be okay. Eggs, the cheapest and and the most wholesome food that that nature has given you, a little bit of fish depending upon where you are, prawns, um, uh, uh, and I say dairy, our good old dairy, which is whether you're a vegetarian, non-vegetarian, Indians have dairy in their culture, paneer, yogurt, a good quality milk, some cheese which is not highly processed. So if you, and if, if expense is an issue and you're a large family, try and bring in red meat twice a week right now even if you're a f- averse for whatever reasons uh, uh, social uh, religious or whatever i, I see do, i keep those discussions very away because it's we're talking nutrition like even if say you're a person who's who's open to eating uh, a beef but that's not available people forget that the water buffalo is still available that is still nutritious food and that's about depending upon where you are 300 to 400 bucks a kg right now the, the good part of a water buffalo is it has less fat content, it has higher uh, protein content. Uh, there may be a difference in the fat. Yes, the fat is slightly different, the color of the fat and all of that. But it is still a good source of nutrition if you think mutton, goat meat, which is probably the most expensive meat right now in, in the country, right? Like I'm in Bombay, 800 to 1200 bucks, depending upon where and how often you shop, that's the, that's one kg of, of red meat, of mutton. So If you rotate your protein sources or your food sources in the way I have told you, it will not put a dent in your pocket. Now, that's one way to look at it. Let's look at it the other way. If you eat this way, the chances of you falling sick for whatever reason become less, okay? Your hospital trips get lesser. All the money, go to any Indian household, middle class, upper middle class, open their pantry and fridge and see the amount of junk that is there. There'll be a cola bottle, there'll be sauce, there'll be namkeen, there'll be some four biscuit packets, there'll be all, none of that, you don't need any of that. So you save money there, you don't get sick, you don't have metabolic syndrome, you don't go to the hospital. That's all an opportunity cost of money saved if you at the end end of the day look at it. So I think one, priorities, right? To assessing your budget and, and still seeing. I have listed it down a thousand times as to how you can do. You can do a, you can do a carnivore or an animal-based diet just on ground meat. See, in general, mm-hmm. ground meat like chema, what we call keema. chemas and uh, beef chemas and eggs and paneer are, are cheaper and compared to expensive shoulder cuts and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. You can still do that and be healthy. Mm-hmm. Healthier, most uh, healthier... Most definitely than being on a grain-based diet. Yeah. Speaking
0: of uh, you, you know health and the the culture in our country, uh, what do you think are the main causes for uh, rising obesity and diabetes in India?
1: Multifactorial, yeah. But let me tell yeah. you, uh, very uh, uh, see the first is now the okay, number one is our plate proportion. Like there are there are certain factors you can control. Okay, and there are certain factors you can't control, right? When it comes to obesity, uh, uncontrollable factors are a couple. Like, for example, the food environment, right? You cannot—I challenge you—and we can do this on on camera. You you cannot go into a supermarket and and find a decent product that doesn't have added sugar or dirty soya bean oil or seed oils. 90% of your packaged food category has some form of sugar for sure, okay? So, food environment you cannot control, okay? Now, that's a big one, because if everywhere you go, you're saturated with this kind of food, what do you do, okay? Number two, the thing that you cannot control is quality food is expensive, but there is a workaround around it, like I just mentioned. Stop buying dumb shit out of a box And prioritize your money. Now, what are the controllable factors and why? And I feel that is more a cause of of, of obesity. And now more recently, if you've been following the news on the health side, NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver, okay, which has become a massive pandemic that we've never heard of 20, 25 years ago. Kids as young as 11 and 12 and 13 have it, right? So the first thing that we need to change our lens. Like if you look at the Indian plate proportion, Mm. I don't care which part of the country you are, Okay, whether you're a South Indian, North Indian, East, whatever. The plate proportion is 60%, 65% carbohydrate. Mm. Then one, some portion of dal. Then the periphery will be some vegetable. If you're a meat eater, maybe once or twice a week, there will be some two pieces of something in in swimming in a load of gravy. Mm. And this is how you eat day in, day out. Every meal, every meal of ours, if you look at the plate proportion, the hero is the carbohydrate. Yeah. Okay? Now, I am assuming, I am saying all of this thinking that you're actually eating clean food, right? There is nothing wrong with dal roti sabzi, but there is also a lot of junk that happens, right? There is kakra, fafra, mm-hmm. the save puri, jalebi, all that is also there in your meal. You, like, like I said, open the pantry. So, first, cut out junk food ultra-processed food, cut out added sugar, okay. Number two, examine, like I said, the plate proportion. It needs to actually flip completely to 40 to 45% of your plate has to be protein. Then you have your vegetables, then comes uh, lentils, and then maybe grain, whether it's rice or roti. Mm. That is number one, okay, the the thing that you can do. Now, for this, you, you need to kind of... Understand that the the basics of nutrition, that carbohydrates doesn't have a lot of nutrition because at the end of the day, it is glucose, it is some form of sugar. The the two major macronutrients that you actually cannot do without are protein and fat. You need amino acids and free fatty acids. Now, nobody knows this again because there is so much vilification of protein. Forget animal-based protein, protein of any kind, right? The second thing, obviously, that, that has become a lifestyle issue is we are sedentary. Okay. Now, uh, everywhere you go, and more so, we saw in the pandemic what happened, right? Like that little bit of walking to the bus stop, or taking a bus, or then taking a train, or then that that when that even that movement died, and we are largely sedentary, eight to ten hours of work. If you don't purposefully or intentfully or with intention move forty-five minutes to one hour a day, you're not going to be healthy. Okay. Now. Exercise movement has got very, very little to do with weight gain and obesity because 90-95% of uh, fat loss and weight gain is is what you put in your mouth day in day out because you can never outrun, outwalk, out-exercise a bad diet. But what that 45 minutes or one hour of intentful moving does is, one, it does great for your body, two, it puts you in the right mental space. You know, uh, when you go out, walk in the nature, get some sun, you're in generally you're moving. See the body is, uh, it's a mean machine. It is made to, uh, uh, it is made for laborious work. That is how we 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 were healthy, right? So now we don't have that kind of laborious work. So you have to intentfully move. Either do some strength training, some yoga, something. So I think these two three things, if you kind of keep in mind, uh, the fact that we are granitarians, okay we don't even consume a lot of vegetables, uh, things become easier.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you, we are Granitarians, there are a lot of Indians who believe that uh, something like biryani is a protein rich meal when <laughs> it's 80% rice and just, there's barely two pieces of chicken. And Correct. I also agree with you that strength training is amazing but uh, Recently, in the past few months, I'm seeing some really stupid WhatsApp forwards saying that uh, going to the gym can give you heart attacks. A lot of young people are dying and it's because of gyms. Stop going to the gyms. (laughs) What do you think of this?
1: I think that's really foolish. And yeah, I think it happened with a couple of cases, actors dropping dead, uh, Siddharth Shukla and the likes. See, yeah, I'll tell you what, what makes the headlines in mainstream news is actually not the headline. Going to a gym doesn't cause or lifting or whatever doesn't cause, look at the, this is exactly like red meat causes cancer in studies. Okay. What was that person doing for a for prolonged periods of time apart from that 40 minutes that he was going to the gym? What was his nutrition? What was his habits, smoker, drinker? Nobody wants to get into all of that, right? Uh, What was his stress levels, right? Uh, was he on some exogenous material to uh, build muscle? No, everybody will claim that no, they are natural, they are this. But there are a thousand reasons. The, the only unfortunate thing is that accident has happened or the mishap has happened in the gym. Okay, but so I I don't think uh, 40 minutes of strength training three times a week when all other lifestyle factors are uh, counted for and you are in control of them, that they cause any big uh, issue. Okay. So that's, that's, I think that's a, like I said, that's like saying red meat causes cancer because in every study that you've done on red meat, probably they were smoking, they were drinking, there were stress levels. You didn't uh, control for all these, all the factors. You just said that now the meat, meat causes cancer. Yeah. So, uh, like i said so it's it's unfortunate that 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 incident has happened in the gym but you really have to look at uh, you know what the person's lifestyle overall has been you know you can um, you can be uh, uh, driving in a car and an accident can happen. Are cars harmful? I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe it was drinking while driving. So, there are a lot of other factors that people are not taking. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, another thing that uh, gets blamed a lot, and, uh, you know, this is very divisive now, and I want to know your opinion on this. Uh, What's your take on seed oils?
1: 100% no doubt Mm. that Firstly, we should congratulate the people who came up with this term seed oil because that's exactly what it is. Otherwise, it's been marketed as heart-healthy vegetable oil. Look at the marketing around it. None of these come from a vegetable. Okay? Soya bean, um, uh, canola, rice bran, none of these. uh, So, one, I think now we have given it the right name. Okay, so seed oil. There is so much research on the inflammatory uh, characteristics of these oils. And actually, the, there was one video that was doing the round on Twitter, and I'll DM that to you separately. Mm-hmm. If you actually see, and that, that is a process of how canola oil is being made, mm-hmm. if you saw can- canola oil, you would never touch it in your life. And it, it is pretty much how every other seed oil is made. The amount of uh, blanching, the uh, sorry, bleaching, the amount of processing that they make it go through to kind of uh, give it that sunshine, sunrise, nice color. That's actually not even the color of the oil, okay? They are extremely loaded with with, um, omega-6. The ratio is completely off, okay? And traditionally, like India loves, loves its traditions, right? Like we are all about our tradition. Everything is our tradition, where we hold our tradition so close to our... Traditionally, we've actually never consumed this never consumed it right we were always depending upon where you came from we were always about ghee white butter right coconut oil if you're in the south and very seasonally locally uh, in certain uh, cuisines we used mustard and sesame oil as a flavoring agent right Uh, even groundnut oil is very very recent right so if now, if you're in fantastic health and you use a little bit of groundnut oil and all, it doesn't really matter. Like when you go out and eat, you don't have control. But the other oils, you know, you have to be really careful because that is the oil in which you're doing your deep frying and all of that and eating it, right? That is one. Second, just use a little bit of common sense, right? Uh, ghee, uh, ghee is a product of uh, malai, the, the cream that is on milk, right? If you pick up, if you pick up like a little bit of cream from the milk and you rub it in your hand, it becomes oily immediately, right? If you take the meat of a coconut, once it's grated, and you just mush it in your hand, you can feel the oil. What do you have to do to soya bean, rice bran? How much of it do you have to crush to what extent to bring oil out of it?
0: yeah i can imagine i can imagine there must be a lot of processing there
1: <laughs> so why do you want to eat that oil which has gone through that kind of processing like if you if you crush like if you can you a crush a peanut in your hand and will the oil come out no at best the oil come out will when you grind it and make it into a peanut butter right so any food that goes or any any edible item that goes into multiple levels of processing for you to consume it is generally avoid I'm not saying all processing is bad cooking is also processing right Mm -hmm. is one form of processing but if you have to put it into a factory and go through multiple levels of uh, processing then that oil is not good for you it's pretty simple now the other thing is if you see all these are cheap because they are mass manufactured Mm -hmm. right so that's the other reason why it is marketed as such. I mean, compared to a good quality ghee, uh, a groundnut oil is expensive.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even in my household, I've managed to get rid of all most seed oils, and Correct. we now use uh, coconut oil or butter and ghee. But uh, I think a decade ago, when we saw uh, maybe 20 years ago, we saw so many ads about all these oils. Uh, they were trying to push this idea that animal fats like uh, uh, butter and saturated. ghee or even, even coconut oil is bad. It's It'll give you cholesterol and it'll give you a heart attack and it'll kill you. And that's the reason why a lot of people uh, shifted to the so-called healthy uh, sunflower oil and rice bran yeah.
1: oil. Yeah, yeah, correct. No, that's true. I think, I think what has been going on with animal-based fat, which is basically largely saturated fat and coconut oil is not saturated as much, but... What has been going on actually with animal fat and which is what traditionally every wherever you are in the world right beef tallow is tradition in the West right olive oil is tradition in, in, in your in, in certain parts of Europe um, uh, uh, you know the the fat from pork lard that was tradition in certain parts of the world in India it's always been ghee and coconut oil depending upon where you came from right now. I think this entire shift that has happened globally and started with obviously America that saturated fat is bad for you and it increases your bad cholesterol. First and foremost, everybody needs to get updated that there is good cholesterol and then there is the other good cholesterol. (laughs) There is no (laughs) such thing as bad cholesterol. Okay. Uh, So, but the lobbying for... Now, now you have to, I, I don't expect the layperson to understand this much. The fact is that I've been in the field for 15 years and Pratham, you are doing some research around it and you are interested, so you, you will know certain uh, how the conspiracy theories and how how the marketing happens. So at some point, it was said that saturated fat increases cholesterol and therefore the pharma industry made something called as a, a statin and the statin is a billion dollar industry and therefore to lower your ldl cholesterol now you have to take a statin that's how saturated fat became bad for you completely the whole now there are cardiologists in the space who are actually saying that most people who we operate on don't even have their ldl high that is not even the reason now the the whole and if you if you look at the space the most cardiologists will tell you that it is the ratio of triglycerides to LDL cholesterol in comparison with another, like how low is your insulin levels and fasting insulin levels, etc., are better predictors of cardiovascular disease rather than LDL cholesterol. Yeah. Now, this narrative is so brainwashed, so brainwashed, and is going on for 50 years that people want to buy into this and saying, oh, ghee mat khao, oh, don't eat red meat because your cholesterol will go high. That is so all these are now a lay person is scared right like can i eat this way can i not eat it takes immense amount of confidence trust in uh, in what your in your research cap- capabilities or trust in somebody like me doesn't come by easy uh, to 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 tell you that no this is not this is not going to harm you and the best way people find out usually is when they test their blood work before they eat like this for three months and this happens on my program and you will see the changes for good
0: yeah uh, it's very easy for me and for a lot of lay person to trust someone like you uh, who not just who who doesn't just talk but also walk the talk now for example you have reversed your diseases You have uh, lost a lot of weight, you helped your clients lose weight. So it's easier for us to trust you because there is evidence. But in the same carnivore space, we see a lot of people uh, telling don't just eat uh, red meat, but also eat a lot of liver. I have nothing against liver. But then we've seen, uh, you know, rise of influencers like Liver King, uh, who now we know he was on anabolic steroids, uh, who spoiled the name of uh, everything carnivore related. And uh, w- what's your take on this?
1: See, I'll tell you. When a movement comes by now, mm-hmm. in every movement, you will find certain people who are extreme in that movement. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let me give you an example. When, when, if you're able to form, please don't. Uh, I, I want to preface this by saying I will never advocate a vegan diet. Okay, mm-hmm. but. There are some people who are extremely elite. A vegan diet is more expensive than any other diet, if you ask mm. me. Okay, one is you need to know your nutrition so well to formulate it, right? So anyway, when the vegan diet started, and when there were a, a, a set of elite who were able to do the vegan diet with the right amount of supplementation, and they did supplement, it was still okay. Mm. Then you found then this vegan diet moved into another cult, another subcult called the raw vegan. That is an extreme. Yes. The same thing is happening with carnivore. Okay, carnivore was uh, largely animal meat. Okay, butter. Okay, it did include uh, poultry. It did include seafood. It, it, and and red meat was also a big component of it. Okay, but nobody said that that carne, If you have to be a carnivore, now the extreme has arrived, saying eat only beef. And in the case of uh, India, they will very conveniently change it to goat meat because it's a ruminant and that's what is available. Uh, and they will say, uh, meat, no spices, just salt, ghee or butter and water and lots of organ meat. No. The, or, organ meat, again, go back to your Indian ancient tradition 100 years ago. Did we did we consume, did certain traditions uh, whether you're Muslim or whether the Northeast or even certain traditions in Tamil Nadu did we or cultures in Tamil Nadu, the non-vegetarians, did we consume organ meat? Yes. Was it there every day in your food? No. Why wasn't it there every day in your food? Because while organ meat is good for you, things like liver, organ meat can also cause certain toxicity in you. Vitamin A, retinol toxicity, consuming lots of liver is a fact. It's also a fact that why nature has made it slightly unpalatable to eat certain organ meat. Because you're not supposed to consume it every damn day. Right? Ask any carnivore. I mean, very few people enjoy the taste of liver. It is pungent, me included. So while you can have your paya soup and bone broth, and uh, it's like I just came back from Vietnam. They are big into chicken feet. Okay. Uh, There is a certain way and method to incorporate this and like I said, like you have an extreme view on this point, now there is an extreme view that has come here and last few days I have been on a carnivore diet since Jan 1, I just took up the, the thing I'll do it just to show people and I've been doing it on Twitter, just to show people that you know, at the end of the day, it's not like it's not some cult with some rules, you just have to know the basic things. And ultimately, nuance and personalization in nutrition needs to happen, right? It has to get more inclusive. Some people just cannot tolerate the taste of red meat because it's too pungent. Maybe they are just transitioning. Are you telling me that they cannot gain any benefit from being on an animal-based diet, Mm -hmm. which doesn't include red meat? Oh, hell, 100%. Yes. So all these carnivore bros who basically tend to be very young, kids and uh, they tend to be also gym bros okay please understand there is also an innate need that people have uh, and I'm saying this in a nice manner to belong to a tribe that sense of belonging gives them currency and largely this is why they're probably doing it well very well intended people but I don't think they are able to help a lot of people so Because not everybody is you. That's the first rule of being a coach. Like any kind of a coach, right? Whether you're a habit coach or whether you're a nutrition coach or whether you're a life coach. All the... Everybody is not you. So not everything will apply to the same measure and same discipline and same compliance as I will. I can go for a year without touching a a piece of sugar. Like even a grain, I'm fine. Okay? I can go over one year without touching a grain. Not everybody is like that. So, I think, like I said, the carnivore community is a very, very small community. I, in fact, I know only a handful of people who do it properly. And in the enthusiasm of belonging to that tribe, I think it's the message is being taken a little extreme.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you believe that there could be a chance of a person um, getting... Uh, High uric acid levels and gout by consuming uh, excessive red meat or organ meats.
1: No. Okay. Uh, if the condition happens, and I'll, this is where the confusion happens, right? Now, what is excessive? is a good question to ask. Okay. First, let us understand what causes high uric acid, gerd, gout, all of that. So, uric acid and gout, not gerd. Gerd is the extreme form of uh, acid reflux the three things that cause uh, uh, high uric acid and uh, gout are first alcohol okay second fructose yeah okay third sugar mm-hmm. proper white sugar which is there in everything because uh, it has the, it is a combination finally they say purines okay purines are found in red meat okay now Usually, you have manifested high uric acid or you, it has gone into crystal form and causing gout because of the first three. Mm. If you were not doing the first three and if you were eating uh, to the way you need to eat a combination of protein and even coming from red meat, it would not cause it. Mm. I've been eating red meat eight years. Mm. No. So, but having said that, if you have manifested this condition... Minimizing your red meat for some time until you kind of address these issues is good because the purines in red meat can flare. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a possibility of a flare. But what tends to happen when you have uric acid and gout, the first thing that the doctor will tell you, no protein. Irrespective, it is not even red meat protein. They will first tell you, pera protein ban kar that is not the reason. And if you want to delve deeper into this, please read a book called Drop Acid.
0: Okay, Drop Acid.
1: Drop Acid is a very good book that tells you what is causing high uric acid levels. Okay? And and, and what is leading to the crystal formula the forming and therefore you having the inflammation and the gout flare. Now, people think fructose, just like sugar, is there in everything. Like... Okay. All your beverage, everything has fructose, right? So if you control your junk food and sugar consumption, to a large extent, your uric acid gets better. Come to the meat last. And frankly, I love this excessive red meat. How many people do you know personally who eat, even non-vegetarians or meat eaters who eat red meat daily?
0: I don't know anybody. Not in India. You know me.
1: I eat red meat every day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My one meal is red meat for sure. If not every day, four times a week for sure. Okay. Okay? So we don't even know. And how much red meat are you eating? Really? 200 grams? 150 grams? Mm. Three pieces? Even a person who says, mutton biryani I love. Exactly. Mm. It is 500 grams of rice and two pieces of mutton. Yeah. So that's the...
0: I I was speaking from my own personal experience because I've had gout a couple of times. Really? Yeah. And it was really, especially the this first time, I could barely walk because of yeah. that. And when I went to the doctor, he said, oh, it's because you ate prawns, it's because you ate mutton, 20, it's because yeah, because you ate chicken liver. I said, okay, maybe that might be the cause. And there, uh, that, that was the first couple of times, but then the recent time I got uh, gout. I was not eating any of this so I went back to the doctor like why why is this he said I'm not really sure maybe it's chicken (laughs) maybe it's eggs so I went to another doctor and he explained clearly it's probably because you you, uh, drink fruit juices every day and I was drinking fruit juices every day he said stop drinking fruit juices every day oh my god
1: yeah never
0: stop having so much fructose like uh, he said preferably don't even eat fruits for a while correct and you'll be fine
1: and did it get better?
0: Yeah, it got better. Uh, like I, I know one of this doctor, like he's a bit controversial. His name is uh, Dr. Srinivas Kakilai. He's been on the podcast as well. He's, uh, I'll check him Yeah, he was, he became viral during this COVID era when he went to, into the supermarket without wearing a mask. And uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it came all over the news.
1: No, but so, see, you don't find doctors like this. See, that's mm-hmm. exactly, see, it'll never strike anybody. They're like, but fruit juice is so healthy. People Apple think, a day
0: keeps a doctor away.
1: Yeah, people think uh, fruit is divine food. Mm. You can eat any and you can do anything to it. Fruit juice is the worst you can do. And you're absolutely right. If somebody presents gout to me, I will get them off even fruit. Mm. First, first I look at alcohol. Second, I look at fruit, fruit juice. Third, like I said, sugar. By by the time I have done all of this, now, it's much, it's, it's sorted
0: okay and now uh, i want to ask like slightly controversial questions uh, in the past two years we've seen uh, uh, i i have noticed this like a lot of people are losing faith in health institutes they're losing faith in the mainstream experts uh, especially after covid a lot of people are saying lockdowns were terrible they were, they were bad for our health uh, wh- what is your take on this can we uh, should we continue being skeptical of the mainstream experts or should we continue to trust them?
1: If you've ever, I don't know if you've ever checked me out on Twitter, mm-hmm. I say make a note of all that mainstream tells you and then just do the opposite of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my answer. Okay. I. I, I I hope we don't get a YouTube strike, etc. on this. I think the way the pandemic was handled was rubbish. Okay. Now, immediately when I say this, the question is, are you anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine? I don't need to belong to any club. Okay. But what I believe is that there needs to be consent, informed consent. Okay. The choice should be up to me Okay, to decide if I want to put a vaccine in my body. Now, that choice is dependent on many things. What has been my lifestyle till now? What is my metabolic health? Okay, the same rule may not apply to my mother, who is 76 years old, who has a history of 30 years of asthma, who has bronchial COPD, who is a vegetarian. It may not apply. Okay, it may not apply to. So, I am just saying that this mass. approach that that the mainstream has had has not helped and mm-hmm. what has like it has not helped so therefore like if you look at if you look at the whole controversy around the pfizer vaccine what mm-hmm. is going on there right mm-hmm. uh, so i think they keep changing their narrative to suit themselves mm-hmm. okay and nobody in the two years of covid pratham mm-hmm. everybody knew that if you had comorbidities right? You were prime uh, 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 in terms of being a, a COVID victim, right? Nobody in the two years even spoke about eating properly, getting you know, they didn't speak about obesity. They didn't speak about all of this. They just said, get your vaccine, get your booster, stay inside the house, whatever. When the elections were happening, even in that two years, they went around distributing bloody rice and dal, okay, and packets of biscuits and I don't know what not. What are you doing? Right? Uh, Then there is this entire, again, there will be some right-wing, left-wing thing that will happen. This entire wave of... uh, uh, saffronism that is going on in our country where everything green is supposed to be okay then there is vilification of animal based protein every third per- woman in the country is either has a zinc deficiency or is anemic okay the, what are you doing so obviously there is no trust in mainstream right
0: mm, yeah
1: <laughs> so <Absolutely, laughs> there yeah. are a hand few and i i didn't even see it in india I am just thankful to be connected on Twitter to a lot of to a bunch of people who uh, who had a different kind of a uh, uh, who had different kind of uh, notion. What, uh, what do you say? Theories and and uh, notions that I was exposed to in the two years uh, while the pandemic was on. And they said, you know, even if you're locked inside your house, keep yourself active. Strength train. Mental health matters. Eat real food. Okay. No matter what, just get out of the house and get some sun, even if it means you're standing in your balcony or you're in your terrace. I was thankful to be associated with such people remotely or whatever on Twitter and I could do this and I could tell people around me that this sanitizers don't work. Here. Like really? What are you? What are you saying? Okay. And water, again, there are certain places where masks work, where certain places masks don't work. You can walk into a restaurant with mask. The minute you sit in the restaurant, you're allowed to yeah. take off your mask. Yeah. Like what? What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I, and we were not even allowed to ask such questions at the, we were not, we, because there was the, so much it, hysteria.
1: That's what I'm saying. See, if you look at everything in the world today, you're not allowed to question anything that the mainstream says, or you have to belong to a camp. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like either you love Modi ji or you hate Modi ji. <laughs> Either you love everything he does or you hate, either you have to be a staunch whatever uh, right-wing person or you have to belong to the left-wing. I don't know why we have to belong to any camp, why can't we just question the efficacy of any policy or anything, whichever camp you belong to, okay? Just to question the science and why are you saying it? And what is science if it can't be questioned?
0: It's if science can't be questioned, it will become a religion of its own it, and it was it, like which what it is
1: becoming now with yes. everybody being divided into two extreme camps and just fighting with each other. Like you cannot today in everything, Pratham, like today, if I'm a woman and I go to Twitter and say, I don't identify with feminism at all as it is today. I <laughs> will have hundred women come and jump on me. <laughs> How dare you, you misogynist. Really. <laughs> exactly. Some bigot, some misogynist, you know, very interesting. I'll give you an example again of, it's just the mood of the globally what is happening mm. that you can't say anything sensible. Yeah. Uh, when the last Navratri happened, I, I had tweeted saying, do not fast the way you fast in a Navratri. You actually eat more than a regular day and you eat more of the wrong things. It's not a fast. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Some right-wing account picked it up with some, I, I don't know, probably 100,000 followers and said, she's Sangeeta Ayer, and look what she's mm. doing. Like some anti-Hindu. I said, Have you gone and checked my tweets? I said the same thing on Ramzan also. Mm-hmm. I said, You are fasting for a good reason in Ramzan, but you don't you don't break your fast properly because from sunset to sunrise you eat all sorts of junk and you eat through the mm-hmm. night. So I come from the perspective of health and nutrition, but people are so emotional, especially food, right? Forget everything else. I, I talk largely about food. But you are a brahmin how can you say this it he doesn't matter the body doesn't care if you're a brahmin non-brahmin you're a meat eater not meat eater you are anti-cruelty you are pro pro climate body doesn't care <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have to eat as per the human body it's as simple as that yeah
0: yeah, I think, yeah food has gotten too political in the past emotional people... it's
1: uh, you're so attached irrationally to it that you can't make any logic. They, they call me corpse eater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's what a lot of uh, vegans uh, say, right? Uh, you're eating dead animals. What am I yeah, supposed to eat? An alive animal? I mean, that's, that's what most animals eat, actually. A lion right eats away. a deer <laughs> when it's still alive. That's far more cruel. That's what no, nature I intended. I in
1: my office. He says, why don't you eat other human beings? I said, no species cannibalizes its own species. Unless it is dying. Like a lion will not eat a lion. <laughs> okay, mm. <laughs> So there is no law. I'm like, you can't guilt and shame me. It's just not. Then I gave him a reference of that. Uh, you know, there was that movie, uh, The Crash in the Alps in the 1970s, where a plane okay. with uh, 12 sportspersons crashed in the Alps. And okay. look this up. It's called Crash in the Alps or something. And actually, one of the members ate the butt of another dead member to survive in the Alps. They were stranded in the Mm. Alps for 40 40 days without Mm. food and it was cold. I give him that example. He's like, oh, yeah. I said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, our Mm. our primal nature is not to eat each other, but if it comes to that, I think we can. (laughs) Mm.
0: Anyways, to conclude, uh, what are your future plans?
1: Um... So, um, I started uh, one-to-one consulting and working in this space after all these years of, of of nutrition research. I certified myself a couple of years ago. I'm I'm in the process. I, I continuously keep certifying myself. Right. I'm currently in 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 uh, in uh, it's work in progress. I'm certifying myself from a South, South Africa from the Tim Noakes Association. Uh, for working with things like low carb, I want to get into certain other parts of nutrition which uh, is not spoken about a lot, which is food addiction, mm. just like there are therapies for other kinds of addiction. I do believe food is addictive i be- I definitely believe sugar addiction is a thing people make used to make fun of me when I said that sugar is addictive now everybody 's coming to accept mm. to understand that yes one hundred percent sugar is an addiction, so I want to kind of branch into all of that uh, so that I can help more people. Um, but my plans are just about this. Yeah, rewrite your story is what I do. That's my mm-hmm. platform. Uh, www.rewriteyourstory.in is where I'm reachable. Um, I work in the entire spectrum of metabolic syndrome barring mental health. I am not qualified to handle dementia and Alzheimer's. I don't. But otherwise, I work with type 2 diabetes, NAFLD, PCOS, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, GERD, acidity, reflex or uh, acid reflux, and of course our good old weight loss the, that never, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I work in this entire space and my my journey is to help more and more and more people get healthy. And a big part of this journey is Advocating ancestral nutrition as it is. And when I say ancestral, I don't mean your grandmother, my grandmother. I mean the way we ate 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 10,000 years ago before the animal, uh, the agriculture revolution came in. Before we all got shotted for eating cheap grain-based mm-hmm. calories. You know, quality nutrition, stay healthy, go work out and live a productive, healthy, happy life. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thank you so much, Sangeeta, for coming on The Labyrinth. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: Thanks so much, Pratham. Thanks for having me. I hope uh, your audience or wherever this travels to uh, finds this helpful. Yes, I am controversial. I just want to end the podcast with one thing. A lot of people carry a misconception saying that Sangeeta advocates so much of meat based that if you're a vegetarian, you can't talk to her. That's not the point at all. of my clientele are vegetarian or some form of egg-eating vegetarian. Not everybody eats meat. Uh, It is also not completely true that if you're on a vegetarian diet, you can't be healthy. You can be, provided you know how to formulate a vegetarian diet well and you may need help by somebody like me. And you strategically may need supplementation okay, you need to be focused on how to get your protein, you need to be frugal with your food, you need to bring a aggressive fasting routine, do all of these things and as a vegetarian, you can live a very, very healthy life without no issues. The reason I wanted to plug this in is I get this a lot, that you can't talk to her if you're not a vegetarian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah, so that concludes the podcast. You can check Sangeeta Ayer on rewriteyourstory.in. All the links are in the description. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much Pratham have a great saturday man
0: yeah you Take too care. yeah
1: bye bye